Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen? Let's bow in prayer as we get ready to open the scriptures and hear from God's word. Our Father in heaven, we want to pause just for a moment as we transition from singing to receiving. And we want to recognize right now, Father, that if, it, if it's not your spirit in our midst, this will just be words on a page be words that we say or that we hear, and it won't have any impact in our lives. But we're asking, please, Father, let your Spirit illuminate these words to us today. Would you open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your law? We trust that you'll do that for us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. We're going to continue in this series called The Indescribable Gift. The indescribable gift, and uh, I'm so thankful that Pastor Tim Volstrom uh, set the table so well last week. We've been looking uh, at this indescribable gift that we're celebrating at Christmas time. If uh, perhaps you've already been out shopping for those Christmas gifts, we're talking about the indescribable gift. And last week we saw the first purpose why God gave us this indescribable gift was to reveal God to us, Jesus Christ is the revealer of God. And his question, Pastor Tim's question last week to us, was God is speaking, are you listening? God is speaking through creation. He has spoken through his uh, ambassadors, the prophets, and we have the records of their speaking from God here in the Holy Scriptures. But as Hebrews 1 says, in these last days, God has spoken to us in the language of his Son. Jesus Christ is the revealer of God. And this morning, we're going to take a look at several other aspects of why God gave us this indescribable gift. And preachers love alliteration, you know, so we got Jesus Christ, the revealer. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus Christ, the reconciler, and Jesus Christ, the reigning king. Well, you got traditions. I know you do, uh, whether that's decorating around the house uh, Christmas tree, nativity scene, colored lights or white lights. Boy, that's a big debate, right? I'm kidding. It's really not. But whatever. Whatever you like to do, uh, turkey or ham or whatever it is that you do for Christmas, you've got all kinds of traditions, right? And uh, my wife and I, well, I kind of set it up. She did all the other pretty stuff to it. We set up our tree yesterday. Maybe that's too late. I don't know. But uh, you've got Christmas traditions, right? Well, one of the traditions that seems to be universal for everyone is that we love to sing songs at Christmas time. We sing carols. We sing music. And we, we sing songs. And uh, I don't know about your favorite Christmas songs to sing. One of mine with my kids is we love to sing Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> and I'm not going to like let you read into that what I think about the kid's grandmother. <laughs> right? But we love to laugh at that song, and there's all kinds of other goofy songs. But what's interesting is that you'll go out into, uh, into the shopping malls, and you'll go out into the retail stores, and you'll go out, and, and you'll hear it on the radio, and you'll see it on television, and, and you're hearing these songs that aren't just Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer, but you'll hear songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. 
And so we're going to take a look at this indescribable gift. I mean, how many of you have ever given a gift to your kids and all of a sudden they're so excited, whether that's a bicycle or a new video game system or whatever it is that they really, really wanted. And they're so excited for it that they sit down and they write a song to thank you for this gift that they just got at Christmas, right? Oh, mother or father, thank you so much. Glory be to you for buying me this PlayStation or whatever it is, right? That seems kind of silly. But here we are 2,000 years later celebrating this indescribable gift. And we have music. We have songs that reflect these great truths. And, and it just, it excites me, but it saddens me too when you can go to a department store and you're there and you're shopping for the perfect gift for that loved one. And all of a sudden you start to hear these Christmas carols being sung. And you look around and you wonder, is anybody paying attention to what is being said? To the words that are being sung? And I get convicted about it. I wonder to myself, am I really paying attention? I've sung these songs. Well, I just turned 40, so for 40 years I've been singing these songs, right? Um, yeah, welcome me to the club, by the way. <laughs> We've been singing these songs. Do they still have any meaning? Do they still have any impact? And so as we look at this indescribable gift, Christ the Reconciler, Christ the Reigning King, we're actually going to take several Christmas carols and we're going to sing them. I'm not just going to read the lyrics to you. We're actually going to sing them. And so I'm so thankful to Nick Orozco, our worship leader this morning. How many of you appreciate what he does for us on Sunday morning? Yes. And so he and I connected yesterday. And so I said, Nick, can you play for us? And he said, I'll give it my best shot. So we're going to sing it actually kind of slowly because we're only singing one verse. But I want you to pay attention also to the lyrics that are being sung. And so the first song that we're going to sing is Hark the herald angels sing. Hark the herald angels sing. Nick, take it away. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelicals proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. yourselves a round of applause. Great job. We sing this song every year. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. And what's the next line? God and sinners reconciled. Reconciled. We're going to take a look at two different passages this morning, but we're going to be all over the place Hopefully not too many places. But I'd like for us to first take a look at what did Jesus have to say about himself? 
Why did he come onto the scene? Let's hear it straight from his mouth. And I'd like for you to turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Now you probably wouldn't, if you've heard this story before, you probably wouldn't associate this with a Christmas story, a Christmas uh, text. This is about Jesus, and it's, it's really his final days before his crucifixion. Uh, both the texts that we're going to take a look at here. Jesus is going to his crucifixion, but on the way there, he meets somebody. And in this encounter with this somebody, with Zacchaeus, Jesus makes a statement about the purpose for why he came. Why God sent this indescribable gift in his son, Jesus Christ. And so let's take a look. It's on page 743 in the Bible provided there for you in the pew if you'd like to turn there. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and, and welcomed him uh, gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I mean, he's got people, all kinds of critics looking out. Why is Jesus hanging out with this lowlife? But Zacchaeus stood up, verse 8, and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. What Jesus is saying is saying this demonstration of faith, it's not that Zacchaeus could go and start giving away all this money to try and earn salvation, but what it is is that Zacchaeus is revealing to Jesus and to everybody there that there's been a real change of heart. He went from being a low life, somebody who was robbing from the people to say, I've encountered Jesus and my life will never be the same. I want to give away everything that I can to help others. Jesus says, I can see this demonstration of faith that salvation has truly come. And then Jesus says this statement, because he's got all these onlookers here that are wondering and scratching their head, why in the world is Jesus hanging out with a guy like this? And here's what Jesus says. Verse 10, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, the Son of Man came, purpose statement, to seek and to save the lost. This is the purpose statement. It's a purpose statement for Jesus. He wants everybody to know, starting with Zacchaeus, this is why I'm here. You think I should have just passed Zacchaeus and gone on my way to Jerusalem? Well, I came here for this very purpose, to seek and to save people just like Zacchaeus. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul, Paul also, the apostle, gives us another purpose statement, a similar purpose statement to what Jesus is saying here in Luke. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he writes, Christ Jesus came into the world, purpose statement, to save sinners. Why did this indescribable gift come? To save sinners, to reconcile. Hark the herald angels sing, because God and sinners are now reconciled. Reconciled. Why do we need to be reconciled? Why, why is this even an issue? 
Colossians 1.21 gives us some insight into why this need for this indescribable gift to come to reconcile God and man together. Colossians 1.21 says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, Paul in Colossians is writing to believers, but he's saying all of you at, at one time were alienated from God. Now, that's not how God created us. God created us to, to be in friendship with Him, to actually rule with Him and, and, and be in fellowship with Him and enjoy His presence. But because of our sin, it's alienated us from God. We're now foreigners to God. We, we don't have access to Him. We don't get to enjoy His friendship, His blessing, His safety, His protection. All the things we just sang about, our God is awesome. All these things, we're estranged from God. Because of our sin, and we're not just estranged, we're enemies, it says in Colossians 1.21. We're actually hostile to God. Don't think that Adam and Eve just picked a fruit and ate some fruit. What's the innocence in that? They were rebelling against God. Satan tempted them, tempted them, they believed the lie, they turned their backs on God, and they became his enemies. And so here we are, every single one of us, are born into this state. We are born enemies of God, alienated from God. And we hurt each other so much so that now when a, a couple gets divorced, one of the reasons they could put down on that, 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 that document is that there are irreconcilable differences. This enmity, it doesn't just exist in our relationship to God. It permeates everything that we do and, and all of our relationships. Even the best relationships have conflict and there's issues there, right? There is no reconciliation. There's enmity. There's hurt. There's bad and evil, wicked behavior and there's alienation from God. We get alienated from each other. But hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. This biblical concept of being reconciled, reconciliation, it means to reestablish a proper, friendly, interpersonal relationship after these have been disrupted or broken. So it's taking what's disrupted and broken and it's reestablishing that friendly interpersonal relationship once again. It's saying you were once alienated from God, enemies of God, but because this indescribable gift has come, he has restored the friendship that exists with God and man once again. It's really to, to make things right with one another. It's to bring friendship where there's brokenness. Well, how in the world did this happen? How do we get to say, okay, we were alienated from God, enemies of God, but now we could sing God and sinners reconciled. How could Jesus come on the scene and say, I came to seek and to save the lost? How could Paul say, Christ came into the world to save sinners? How is this possible? Colossians 1, 19 to 22 is a beautiful passage that talks about this reconciliation. How is it possible? Colossians 1.19 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness 
dwell in Christ. Wow. I mean, it's the indescribable gift. What's the significance of the fact that God was in a human body lying there in a manger? Well, all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ, and through him, through this Christ child, as he grows, through him to reconcile, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Merry Christmas. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body, God in the flesh, through death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. How in the world can we say, because the Bible says we are at one time enemies of God, alienated from his goodness, how can we now say God and sinners reconciled? Jesus says, I came here to offer my blood on the cross, to make peace where there was enmity, to bring peace and hope and friendship when there was alienation and nothing but separation. Here I've come and I've brought peace so that God and sinners can be reconciled. Romans 5, 6 through 11, Paul also writes, he says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, we could do nothing to bring that reconciliation. When we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, like Zacchaeus, like you, like me. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through this Christ child? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Through the blood that he shed on the cross, when we were ungodly at just the right time, Christ Jesus, this indescribable gift, came into the world to save sinners, and he came to reconcile God and man together again. And the only way he could ever do that, friend, for you and for me, is to shed his blood on the cross to make peace with God. God and sinners reconcile. Well, this reconciliation, it goes both ways. You see, we're reconciled to him. Of course, that makes sense, right? There's no way I could enter into the presence of God. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's glorious. He's holy. How could a wretch like me get into his presence? Well, God says, you know what I'm going to do when you receive this indescribable gift? I'm going to clothe you with the righteousness of Jesus so that now you're perfectly acceptable in my sight. You've been reconciled to me. So in that aspect, that reconciliation goes toward God. We are reconciled to him, but, but it also includes him being reconciled to us. It's like two people that are fighting with each other, right? And you're like, I, I'm not initiating forgiveness here, right? You're uh, in a fight with a spouse, and it'll go on and on and on. 
No way. They were the wrong one. They got to come and they got to come to me. I ain't asking for forgiveness. And we hold on to that grudge so long, so long. God is the one that initiates. He's the one that comes and says, I'm going to reconcile myself to you. You see, you deserve wrath, Matthew. You deserve justice, Matthew. You deserve the wages of sin, which is death, Matthew. But you know what? I'm going to reconcile myself to you because I'm going to send my son the indescribable gift. And he's going to make peace so now that I'm reconciled to you. I can actually come to you now because I see you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. God and sinners why angels sing. That's why we've been singing these songs for 2,000 years. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. It's an indescribable gift. So what do we do with this this amazing truth that that we sing every year? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. This is what we do with this reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says this. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, the service of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, in this indescribable gift, not counting people's sins against them, and, and he's committed to us, to those of us that have received the indescribable gift. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin uh, who had no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Paul is saying, God sent this indescribable gift so that you, be, although you were enemies, you could have friendship with God, peace with God. Hark the herald angels sing, and that's beautiful. Today, friend, if you've never received this indescribable gift, today's the day that peace can be received with God through this indescribable gift who gave his life and shed his blood on the cross. But it goes further than that. Some of you here today, I think many of you have received this indescribable gift. And so Paul says this, this is what I have now. Now God's given to me this ministry, this service to all of us who have received this indescribable gift. It's like Paul's getting on his knees and he's saying, I'm just a mailman going out to the world and I'm sharing this message. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Friend, today I can tell you every elder, deacon, staff member, every person that calls Valley Bible home, I hope we'd be willing to get on our knees and beg and plead as God's ambassadors through us. He's telling you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Who in your life do you need to get on your knees for? Who needs to hear about this indescribable gift of reconciliation, friendship with God through Jesus Christ from you? He's called you to be his ambassador today to share this indescribable gift. 
We sing the songs. Maybe, maybe you'll sing carols around the fire this Christmas and there's one of your family members or friends or co-workers. They don't know Christ. Maybe you're at a Christmas party. You sing Hark the Herald Angels. Say, Do you know what that means? God and sinners reconciled? Oh, this indescribable gift, friends. It wasn't just good enough for Paul. It was a message he said, I got to tell everybody about this. We've been singing songs about it for 2,000 years. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Be reconciled to God. We've got one more song we're going to sing together. And uh, we've sing, sung Hark the herald angels sing. And here's another one that I think you know very well also is Joy to the World. You know Joy to the World? All right, so I'm going to ask uh, a minstrel here, Mr. Nick Orozco, to please lead us in joy to the world. Sing with all your heart. All right. We're going to sing this song a little bit slower, like Matthew mentioned. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. everybody. Thank you so much, Nick, for leading us. I appreciate that. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. We've seen Jesus Christ, this indescribable gift, as the reconciler, and now we're going to look at the fact that he's our reigning king. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 18. John 18, 33 to 37. John 18, 33 to 37. It's on page 767, if you're using the Bible there provided for you. John 18, 33. Now, this is another story toward the end of Jesus' life and ministry. He's, uh, he's been arrested by those that wanted to kill him by the Jewish leaders, and, and they've submitted him, Jesus, over to uh, Pontius Pilate and to the Roman government. Pa Pontius Pilate is the governor over the region which Judea resides in, in Jerusalem. And so uh, Pontius Pilate's going to be the one to decide because the Jews couldn't crucify people, the Romans could. And the Jews wanted Jesus crucified, so they had to make their appeal to Pilate. And so here's Pilate and Jesus, and we're going to just get a glimpse of this interaction between Jesus and Pilate. John chapter 18, verses 33 to 37 say this. Pilate went back inside the palace, and he summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. It's true. In fact, the, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth 
listens to me. Jesus is telling Pilate, Pilate's kind of wondering, who is this guy? What has he done? Are you really a king? But when Pilate's asking the question, he has this definition of what a king should be. A king is someone who has power, who rules, who defeats his enemies, and makes his subjects do whatever he asks them to do. It's about power. It's about authority. And Jesus is saying, well, yeah, it's true, but it's not the way you think of it, Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world, but I have come to testify to the truth, to test about, testify about my kingdom, a kingdom that will blow your mind, a kingdom that isn't anything like you know of, Pilate. And so Jesus is saying, that's why I came into the world, to testify to the truth about this different, unique, upside-down kingdom that's unlike anything we've ever seen. In fact, angel, uh, the angel Gabriel, uh, way back in, in Luke chapter 1, which is more of our traditional Christmas story, Gabriel appears to Mary, and he predicts to Mary that Jesus is going to be a king. In Luke chapter thir- uh, 1, verses 31 to 33, Gabriel tells Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Mary is hearing from Gabriel that Jesus is predicted to be the king, the promised king that was promised uh, to, to David in 2 Samuel 7. And Jesus is there before Pilate. He says, I'm a king, but I'm not a king like you think of, Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus is, he came to be a king. But why in the world would any of us want a king? Why would we want a king? I mean, for crying out loud, we're Americans. Or Americans, right? We love democracy. We, we believe in the core of our being, this statement, which I couldn't find the origin of it, but it, we all know it pretty well. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Our nation was founded on the desire to shed the the rule of King George III of Britain so we could be a free people, so we could actually get a say in how things run around here. And every time a decision is made for us, even if it was the decision we were going to make, I wanted to make sure I had a say in how it all went. We want to have a say in the matter. So when you bring the idea of a king, come on now. That flies right in the face of who we are as Americans. We love our democracy. And and I'm telling you, this this government, it's beautiful. Uh, We've got these wonderful checks and balances in the United States. We've got the executive branch, which is the White House, the presidency. We've got the legislative branch, which is the Senate and the House. We've got the judicial branch, which is our superior court. And they're all watching each other. And they're saying, well, you can do that, but you can't do that. Oh, well, I can do this. No, you can't do that. You can do So they're checking each other out. We've got three branches of government to make sure, to make sure that no one person or group gets too much power. This is the way, right? And we get to vote about who those people are going to be in those different offices, right? It's so important. Democracy. It's who we are, right? Why would we want a king? This is the way, right? Well, does this system really, though, ensure justice? Does this system really ensure righteousness? Does it really ensure peace for humanity? Does it really fulfill the promises that it's made to us as Americans? This is 
quite possibly this American dream, which I think it's the best system on the planet, friends. Don't get me wrong. I really do. But this American dream, I mean, does this really solve the problem for us? It's probably the greatest attempt in human history to curb the tyranny of a dictatorship. But the human heart, the human heart is so wicked, so corrupt, that it could even infiltrate the best of human systems. And so here we are in our streets. Here we are in our society. Here we are in the news. Here we are in our our judicial system. And we cry out, where's the justice? Where's the righteousness? Where's the peace? We're longing for it. We thought this system would work, and it's still the greatest system on the planet. But the problem isn't the system. The problem is the human heart. Where is the righteousness? Where is the justice? We want a president who's pure, who's right, who's not corrupt. We want legislators. We want the judges who aren't corrupt. We want police officers that are right and will always do the right thing. And we cry out, where is the peace, the justice, and the righteousness? Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the world. You see, God, it says in Psalm 89, 14, it says about God at his throne, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. This is the kind of rule that God has over his people. We've had all kinds of monarchs, all kinds of rulers, all kinds of presidents, all kinds of prime ministers, and as great as they try, they still have evil, corrupt hearts. We need someone who's purely right, purely just, who will fight for peace for us. Israel was longing for that king. They were longing for him. And God gave Israel a promise in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, one of the most beautiful Christmas promises in all the Bible say this, for to us, to Israel at that time, and it's a hope for us today, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, that can get us nervous, us Americans there for a moment, right? But listen to this. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. No enemy can defeat him. Everlasting Father. He cares. He's compassionate for the poor, the needy. And he's the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. You can't vote him out and you can't defeat him. (laughs) On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it. How? With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And in case you think God cares about justice and righteousness, look at this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This king... This king, we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And we say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. We've got every system on the planet that we've tried, but the human heart is wicked. We long for justice. We long for righteousness. We long for peace. Oh, we can't wait for the king to return. I love Disney movies. You love Disney movies? I love The Lion King. 
Uh, I love the animated version that came out in the 90s, and I love the, the live-action version, although it was still computer, that came out over the summertime. And I, I'm kind of a nerd about this, but I, I love the movie. Simba, he's the little uh, prince that's supposed to be king. And his By the way, spoiler alert, here it comes. By the way, his dad, Mufasa, dies in a tragedy, right? Scar's the one we know that Bert murders him. Boy, I'm getting this plot deep here. Anyway, Simba has to leave because he feels so ashamed and he's afraid because he thinks everybody is going to think that he's the one that caused his father to die. So he goes away, finds some new friends, and he's footloose and fancy free. In the meantime, Scar, his evil, wicked uh, uncle, comes and rules the land, opposite of justice, opposite of righteousness, opposite of peace, and the land is suffering for it. Simba's friend, Nala comes to find Simba, and she's like, hey man, you need to go back there. And he has this inner struggle about whether or not he should go back. And finally, Rafiki the baboon comes to him, and he says, you need to go and realize who you are. And so Simba goes back. And it's, th this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. Because Simba's friends, who he's been hanging out with, they go, where'd he go? What's happening to him? Where is he? And Rafiki looks at them, and he says, he's not here. The king has returned. The king is returning. And I get goosebumps on the back of my neck. Every time I read that, I go, yes, go get him. Go get Scar, right? <laughs> and he goes and he defeats Scar and he brings peace and justice and righteousness back to the kingdom. You know, the best stories that are told always imitate reality, don't they? They're just microcosms of the great grand story. You see, it seems like Scar, who's Satan, has been ruling this world for a really long time. And we're craving, we're longing for peace and justice and righteousness. And this king, this king, our Lord Jesus came to this earth and he said, my kingdom's not of this world. You can't vote me out and you cannot defeat me. But he said, I got to come though the first time because if I come now and I rule and I defeat all my enemies, nobody's getting into this kingdom. So he says, the first time I'm going to come, I'm going to come and lay down my life for my subjects. And I'm going to open wide the doors of this kingdom so that anybody could come in. But one day this king is going to come back and he's going to defeat every enemy. And he's going to bring justice. He's going to bring peace. And he's going to bring righteousness. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. But the song goes on. The song goes on. Let earth receive her king. What comes next? Let every heart prepare him room. You see, the issue of the song isn't whether he's king or not. Let's enthrone him as king. That's not what the song says. He is the king. And he's going to come back and he's going to rule on this earth. The kingdom is invisible now. It's in your hearts now. But someday he's going to come. He's going to rule on this earth. But the issue right now is, let every heart prepare him room. Have you made room in your heart for this king? How do we do that? Just a couple more texts here. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 talks about this son of God who would rule. Son of God who would rule. And, and the full fulfillment of this psalm is still yet to take place. But notice what it says here at the end of Psalm 2. It says this, Why did the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, Let us break off their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven, he laughs. 
the Lord scoffs at his enemies. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. Here's what the Lord says. He said to me, you are my son. Okay, this is the son speaking now. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. That's why Jesus would tell Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. It would blow your mind if you saw this thing. Verse 9, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun or he'll be angry and your way will lead to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But listen to this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Take refuge in him. There is joy. There is blessing to those who receive Jesus, this indescribable gift, as king of their lives. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, as in King of kings and Lord of lords, and, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from this righteous judgment that is coming on all the earth. Let every heart prepare him room. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's already been settled, and it will be fully revealed to every eye will see, every tongue will confess when he returns that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here's the question for every single one of us. Have you prepared room in your heart for this king? Are you obeying your king? Are you acting faithfully as his ambassador? As we saw back in the, the section on reconciliation, we, we plead with people, be reconciled to God. Make room in your heart for this king. He's coming back and blessed are all who take refuge in him and joy to the world. The Lord has come. There is no middle ground with this king. Either you are reconciled or you are at enmity. Will you make room in your heart today for this king? Will you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and he said, come on into the kingdom, son. Come on into the kingdom, daughter. Take refuge in me. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. This is the indescribable gift that we celebrate at Christmas time. This is what it's all about. Jesus has come and he came and put on human flesh so that he could lie in a manger there as a vulnerable baby and grow up as a man so that he could reveal God to us, so that he could reconcile God and man, and so that he could reign as our righteous just peace-giving king. Have you made room in your heart for him today? We want you to experience this indescribable gift. If you've never received it, oh friend, today we'll get on our knees and we'll beg and implore you 
Be reconciled to God. Make room in your heart for this king. Give your life over to him, and you'll have more blessing, more joy that you could ever experience. But this gift isn't just to be received. It's to be re-gifted. You see, re-gifting or re-giving is the act of taking a gift that's been received and then giving it to somebody else, sometimes in the guise of a new gift. You ever been there before? Yeesh. Like, I, I'm not really all that thrilled about it, or maybe I got a second one, and you just re-gift it onto somebody else, and you're hoping they don't catch on to it, right? I just want to really get rid of it, but, you know, I'm going to re-gift it to somebody else. And sometimes that's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of a cheap way to, to give gifts to people. If you're doing it, shh, I won't tell anybody, I promise. But see, this indescribable gift, it's meant to be re-gifted. It's meant to be taken and delivered to somebody else and say, I've received this gift for myself, and I want you to receive it as well. You see, this indescribable gift has been given to you, to me, to us, friends, so we could see God revealed before us, before your friends, your co-workers. You show off what God's like, and you say, Jesus fully reveals God, so that we could be reconciled to him, so that enemies could be made friends with God, and so we could have King Jesus reign in our hearts when we prepare him room in righteousness and peace and justice that one day he's going to return. You see, this gift is meant to be received but it's meant to be regifted. Have you received the gift today? If you haven't, I beg you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. If you've received this gift today, who do you know that needs to have this gift, this indescribable gift, regifted to them? What an indescribable gift we have. Let's sing it this Christmas. Let's believe it this Christmas. Amen. Let's share it this Christmas this indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to tell you thank you for your indescribable gift. There's all kinds of presents that we're buying for friends and loved ones now. We could describe those. They cost this much or they're that big or they're wrapped with that wrapping paper. But when we start to see just how great Jesus is, he's priceless. He's wonderful. He's so great that we love to sing songs about him. Oh, I thank you that God and sinners are reconciled through this son. Oh, I thank you so much that he is a reigning king and he will bring justice and peace and righteousness to our hearts and to this earth. We say, Maranatha, come Lord quickly. We want the King Jesus to rule on this earth again and to, to rescue people. Father, I pray that every heart in this room would know that they're right with God, that they would prepare room in their hearts to receive Him as King. If they haven't, Father, please call them. Oh, that they would, they would come forward and say, I want to confess. I want to believe. I want to receive this indescribable gift. And for those of us that have received it, Father, who do we know that needs to have this indescribable gift re-gifted to them? Please help us, Father. Fill our mouths with good news. Good news that the angels sang and that we sing every year. God and sinners reconciled. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Commission us now, Father, as we go to re-gift this indescribable gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I commission you, go in the name of Jesus Christ and re-gift the indescribable gift. Amen.